Go ahead and turn to, to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 1 through verse 3 uh, specifically. And the title is, The Hope Which Is Laid Up For You In Heaven. The Hope Which Is Laid Up For You In Heaven. I actually got my title from Colossians, which is where I'm going to go for my introduction. So if you want to go to Colossians, you can. It's Colossians chapter 1, verse 5. But where we're really going to be uh, looking at today is in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 1 through 3. I've been excited about this message uh, for a while now. I've had it for a while now, and I've been excited for a while now. Uh, it's not, it's always enjoyable as a minister to preach something that's encouraging instead of uh, corrective or all the other things that come along with it. But encouraging is always the fun one. When you get, if you get, I don't know if I could say fun about, but it's, it is fun. It's enjoyable to preach an encouraging message, not only for yourself, but for the people. I'm excited because I'm encouraged by it, and I get more excited when you get encouraged by it. Hmm. So, we'll go ahead and uh, read the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In Colossians, the passage of Scripture is chapter 1, verse 5. It says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. In the Bible, the word hope signifies both the sentiment of hope and the thing hoped for. In this instance, along with pretty much most instances that you see the word hope, is talking about the thing hoped for. Here it signifies the thing hoped for. It is guaranteed of fulfillment but not necessarily known of the time of the fulfillment. Our future is guaranteed by what Jesus did at the cross. It is guaranteed. The work that Jesus accomplished by the cross, through the cross, it guarantees the future of every believer who would remain in Christ. It is guaranteed. That's why the Bible says that we have a hope. We have this hope. Our hope as believers is objective and not subjective. My hope is objective. It doesn't get moved or changed by my emotions because it doesn't depend upon me. It doesn't, my hope doesn't depend upon what I see, feel, hear, that's not what my hope is dependent upon. Because my hope isn't here. The hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Hope 
bib- true biblical hope is not just simply, well, I hope I, I, I just hope God comes through. I got, you know, or I got, I have hope, Pastor, that I have hope that the Lord's going to come through in, in my finances. Sorry, but that's not laid up for you in heaven. Hear me now. If that's all you get is something earthly that you hope that the Lord comes through in, and that's your, I have hope that the Lord is going to come through in this, you're missing the biggest thing. It says, the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. The hope Paul is speaking of is the coming resurrection of all the saints and the eternal presence with Christ. That we are not meant to stay here. That the resurrection is going to happen. It is a guarantee. Because Christ has already been resurrected. He's the first fruits. It's a guarantee for each one of us as believers. I know that I know that I know that I know that I am going to be resurrected. And that no matter what I face in this life, I do not care. It will not affect whether I go in the resurrection or not. If he doesn't meet the financial need, I still have the hope laid up for me in heaven. If I don't get the things that I want in this life, I still have the hope laid up for me in heaven. It's when I interpret hope correctly through the lens of Calvary that I understand hope correctly and I'm encouraged by it. The rapture, the resurrection, it really one and the same. It's all the same. We have this. That's a promise. We have it. It's going to happen. We don't know when. That's why you, you don't hope for what you can see. You hope for what you can't see. Well, I can't physically see it. But I, I have this hope because I know with a full assurance that it's going to happen because I'm justified, just as if I've never sinned. Because after all, brother, no sin can enter heaven. Pastor, you know that. Well, I'm justified, just as if I've never sinned because I'm in Christ. Romans says I've been baptized into Christ. What happened when you got born again? A spiritual operation happened. God placed you into the person of Christ. His death became your death. That's what Romans 6 is all about. Baptism into Christ. When he died, you died. When God looks at you right now, your faith is in Christ. When God looks at you, he sees you as though you are perfect. As though you've never sinned. As though you are currently in a glorified state. 
You want to talk about you need faith to believe that for yourself? Because you don't, you don't see that. I don't see that in my daily life. You're not with me every second of my day. Thank the Lord. It takes faith. I've got to exercise faith, not just daily, but moment by moment in the fact that what it says is true. Because I don't see Christ's likeness. But my job is to believe. I've got to believe that I've been baptized into Christ. I've got to believe that the work of Calvary is enough. I've got to believe that the blood of Jesus washes past, present, and future sins. I've got to believe that. I've got to exercise my faith in what Christ has done. Not exercise my faith in what I can do. How holy I can be. How righteous I can be. i got to exercise faith in what Christ has done. Well, that's too easy. That's too easy, brother. That's, that's too easy, brother. You ain't tried it yet. It's not easy. It's hard. It's, a, it's called the fight of faith, but it's a good fight. But it's still a fight. You got to fight to keep believing. You got to fight to believe that what Christ did is enough when you're blowing it. When you just bit off a big piece of stupid. And you got to fight to believe that what Jesus did is enough. That in the eyes of God, I'm righteous. Just as if I've never sinned. And he's not waiting to strike me down with a lightning bolt. Or at the least, that he's not looking down upon me with a frown on his face. Because he's not pleased with me. What pleases God? Faith. Faith pleases God. So by faith. In what Christ has done, I have a hope laid up in heaven because of what he has done. It's a guarantee. What he did can't be undone. The only, the only way that I can not have it as a guarantee is if I forfeit it by no longer believing. All right, let's, let's pray, and then let's go to... Uh, The Gospel of John, chapter 14. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy, Lord. Thank you for everything that we have in Christ, Lord. Thank you for the blood of Jesus, Lord. Thank you for the new covenant, every benefit that we have because of what Jesus has accomplished. Lord, we ask that you would have your way this morning in this service, Lord, and each heart and each life, Lord, that there would be a demonstration of the Holy Spirit, Lord. It's the Holy Spirit that gives revelation knowledge that makes things real to us, Lord God, that opens our eyes. Lord, I'm asking that you would do it in this place this morning, Lord, that I would decrease and that you would increase, Father God. Lord, that you would have your perfect way. Give us 
understanding and knowledge, Lord. Encourage us and comfort us, Father God. Help us to understand more clearly what we have in Christ, Lord. And make the promises real to us, Lord. We just say and ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Okay, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So let not your heart be troubled. This is said by Christ immediately after predicting Peter's denial. That's a really good time to say amen. It's encouraging when you blow it. And the next thing that the Lord does is he, he, he doesn't beat you down. He just says, let not your heart be troubled. He's not, he's not, he's not waiting to, to, you blew it, waiting to strike. That's it. You're out of here, buddy. Get out of here. No, no, no. Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus had just related to them that he was leaving shortly. So this had all taken place. Jesus had been relaying to them, hey, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be delivered over to the religious leaders. They're going to kill me. I got to die, be buried, raise again. So he's relaying all of this to them, which is just honestly, this is horrible. This is bad English probably, but what he has just told them has just blown their mind as far as their doctrinal beliefs. Their belief in what the Old Testament revealed, Jesus saying, I got to die, be buried, raise again the third day. It, what is this dude talking about? All of these things that he relayed to them, this caused their hearts to be troubled. Think about it. If you were following a man that you believe to be the Messiah, who you believe is going to set up the kingdom on earth, no longer be under the rule of Rome, we're going to be ascended back up to the superpower of the world. And then he says, I'm going to die. And you, do, you left everything to follow this man. You might be a little troubled in your heart yourself. The disciples couldn't understand it. What Jesus had relayed to them about dying and leaving did not line up with their belief system. It didn't line up with their interpretation of Scripture. The kingdom can't be established by a Messiah who has died. Because that the Messiah is going to come. Everybody knows the Messiah can't die. And he's going to set up the kingdom. So if the Messiah is dead, then the kingdom cannot be set up. This doesn't make any sense with the way that we see the scripture. 
They had interpreted scripture wrongly and made it fit their belief system and desires instead of allowing it to conform their beliefs and desires. Thank the Lord that none of us have ever been guilty of such a thing. They wanted a physical kingdom and not a spiritual one. We are much more like Israel than we think, church. Believers, we're much more like Israel than we want to admit. They weren't worried about the spiritual aspect. Didn't, couldn't care less, to be honest. It was all about the here and now, physical. We don't have a problem with sin. We have a problem with Rome. We don't have a problem with sin. We have a problem with the heathen. Us as believers. Just, I'll take it to, just, I'll preach by myself. I don't, have a, I don't have a problem with sin, Lord. I just need a better job that pays more. I don't, I don't have a problem with sin, Lord. That employee is a jerk. Lord, if you, Lord, if you just move in this situation and circumstance and promote me, Then, see, all these problems down here, they could just stay down there, and then I'll be. You got a sin problem. Your employee might, the other employee might be a jerk, but so are you. You're not Jesus. The Lord's interested in your heart. But we don't, our, we, believers, church, we don't really think we have that much of a spiritual problem. That's the only problem you got. Oh, no, I, that, it's a, I got a financial problem. I got a this problem. I got a this. Every attack that the enemy throws at you is all targeted for spiritual. It may manifest itself in a different way. But it's spiritual. You better believe that. If it was all about physical, there's so many examples in the Bible that don't add up. You got rich people that are saved and rich people that weren't saved. You got poor people that were saved, beggars that were saved and beggars that weren't saved. You got some that lose everything and stay safe. Some, he says, give up this, which means you would have had to give up or lose. And no. Everything is a spiritual issue. The accusation against Job by Satan was a spiritual one. If he only serves you because of all of this 
take it away, and he'll curse you to your face. That, that was not a, a physical thing. He went straight to the heart. Satan's accusation was against the heart of Job. This is why he lives for you. Take it all, and he'll stop. Well, the Lord knew Job. And Job still served him. And then it went from just physical to, as far as that goes, monetary, financial, things he owned, even his family, to next thing you know, Job gets sick. So even sickness as an attack and a a tool of the enemy is not that you'll physically die or just physically be in pain. It's a spiritual attack. That you, if he can, the goal is to destroy your faith, to get you to just give up on the Lord. Is to destroy your faith in Christ and what he's done. That's the whole goal. And he'll use any means he can to do that. We just see the means and we think, Lord, you need to deal with this. The means, no. Because we are no different than Israel. We're more concerned about physical than we are spiritual. If you grab a hold of the spiritual part, the physical's going to take care of itself. There, you, um, you grab a hold of what you have in Christ. I'll just be honest with real. <laughs> then you'll be just like Paul that learned how to be abased and abound. He needed the cross. He needed grace when he was abased and when he abounded. He had to learn it in both situations. You can only do it successfully if your focus is the spiritual and not the physical. I don't, me personally, because of things that I've walked through already and I guess learned the lesson. And it wasn't pretty, so don't, don't think, if, if you think, I'm just telling you that this seems so great, ask my parents. It wasn't pretty, it was ugly. <laughs> we do not go through things very well, seem. But I learned that he really is enough. I learned that I have everything that I need in the cross of Christ. That now, if I get a good job, I don't equate that with the blessings of God. I said, well, God's blessing. He already was blessing. He blessed me when Christ came and left heaven. He blessed me when he lived a perfect life and never sinned. He blessed me when he died in my place, took my place, took the curse that was meant for me. I've been blessed. Whether the job comes or goes, I'm blessed. Okay, we're getting off track. If he leaves and dies, we are facing an uncertain and perilous future. That was their thinking. It is this fear that he responds to by telling them that they should not be troubled. 
I'm thankful for the times when the Lord says, do not be troubled. I don't have to tell him that I might be troubled. He knows. I don't have to have some amazing prayer that's in King James for him to say, oh, he's in trouble. He sees my heart. He knows before I say anything. Sometimes I just need to say, Jesus. And I, that sweet peace is the Lord's way of saying, don't be troubled. The next part in verse 1 says, you believe in God, believe also in me. This is his most complete revelation of himself as God. Believe in me and what I will accomplish for you through the cross, the same as you believe in God. Verse 2 says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you. So in my Father's house are many mansions. Heaven is not short on spaces. There is no limited number of slots available. There is no limited number of slots available. Not only, it's not just going to be 144,000. He said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. I can't think of the word, but what's that if, there, if a hotel is full? No vacancies. There's no vacancies. You don't have a no vacancy sign in heaven. The manner in which Jesus used the term father's house proclaims that his father is now their father also. So he's saying to you, in my father's house are many mansions. In my father's house, there's plenty of room. We don't run short on space in my father's house. And my father is your father also because you've believed in me. Mm. As a result, the Father's house is now your house. I said, as a result, the Father's house is now your house. The Father's house is, has plenty of room. It never runs out of spaces. Hallelujah. And he's now your father because you've believed in Christ. And because you've believed in Christ, he's your father. On top of that, his house is your house. Mm. The word mansion means abiding places. In the Greek, it would mean abiding places. It got translated mansions, but abiding places. The next part in verse 2 says, If it were not so, I would have told you. This part gets me so excited. It's hard to wrap my head around, but it is the truth. 
This has reference to the fact that he is speaking from first-hand knowledge. He's been there, and he's going back. He came from heaven. He got first-hand knowledge. What he is relaying to them, he didn't read it in a book. He didn't hear the Father tell him in prayer, oh, in my house there are many. No, he's seen it with his eyes, firsthand knowledge. I've been there. I'm telling you the truth that in my Father's house, there, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. It never runs out of room. We got plenty of spaces because I've been there myself. And I'm going to be heading back. In verse, the next part in verse 2 says, I go to prepare a place for you. He is personally superintending this building project in heaven. Juke myself out. I love the fact that in a lot of uh, Jewish Traditions, I guess, would be a good word. Traditions, like in America, we have, you know, a certain wedding. You know, you get engaged, you plan your wedding. You got all these different things, and you get married. Well, they had one as well. Theirs is way better than ours. <laughs> I say that. if I, In that situation, maybe I wouldn't think so. But So what would happen is that the, a, a, a man and a woman would be uh, engaged but technically married. And then the, the man would leave for a year. So they basically get engaged, they get married, and then the man leaves for a whole year. And then the wife is there, and she's in a time of testing. Is she going to be faithful to that man? And the whole time, that man is going back to his father's house, to build an addition onto the house for his new bride. And the best part is, not for the son, <laughs> or well, I get, for the bride, yeah, this is a good thing, that the son doesn't get to decide when the building project is finished. Only the father does. If it was up to the son... Let's go and whip up four walls and let's go get the bride. But it's up to the father to say when, yeah, that's good enough. That's it. And then when the father gives his approval, then the boy, the uh, groom, would come back to where the bride is. She wouldn't know that he's, he's coming. And at midnight... Uh, the, his best man, basically, would shout, would let out a shout. And then the groom would steal away the bride in the night. And then they go back to the place that he just finished building. Beautiful. And it's beautiful because of what it represents. Jesus came. The church is the bride. He came. He took a bride, and then he had to go 
back to prepare a place. He just said, I go to prepare a place for you. At my father's house, there's many mansions, but I'll be taken under a special building project. Because I'm preparing a place for you, my bride. And when the father says it's done, then I'll be coming back. What awaits the believer at the end of this life is far greater than we can ever imagine. I literally, my brain is, my little pea brain cannot wrap around the things that I'll see. The things that await, that await me, I can't wrap my head around it. This is a promise we have in Christ. Christ is giving you this promise. He already gave it. It's in the, it's in the book. It's in the will. It's in God's will for us. This is what you're going to inherit. <laughs> it's a promise. That he right now is preparing a place for you. Right now he's building a, a place for you. And the father is watching over the building project. So you know it's going to be the best. <laughs> Every saint of God who has gone on is now living in one of those mansions or dwelling places. Understand what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. I'm in a strait betwixt two. I'm in a I'm in a between a rock and a hard place. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, or to stay. For your sake, he stayed. That's what he said in the letter. For your sake, God staying. Paul wasn't trying to escape anything. He just wanted to be with the one that he loved. The longing of a bride's heart isn't to escape the one year of testing and waiting for the groom. It's just simply, I want to be with the groom. This should be the cry of every born-again believer's heart. I'm I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. I just, I just want to go be with Jesus. Which is far better. Sorry, I just tell you, that it's far better. I love my wife to death. But honey, being with Jesus is far better. <laughs> and I'd be rooting for you. Because being with Jesus for you, I know, is far better. Verse 3, turn my page here. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. 
proclaims the first mention of the rapture of the church. It doesn't say the word rapture. But my goodness, you can't spill it out any more than that. I'm leaving, but I'll be coming back for you. <laughs> the rapture of the church is not an escape from trials and tribulations. As it has been said in an attempt to dispute the doctrine of the rapture. That's what's used to dispute the doctrine of, of the rapture. That's what I've heard. It might be other things, but I've heard that used to dispute the doctrine of the rapture. Well, that's just so you can escape trials and tribulations. Baloney. I'm in love. I'm trying to be with. It's not about what I escape. It's about who I get to be with. I don't view it. I can't wait for the rapture. Not because I'm ready to get out of this forsaken place. No. I want to be with Jesus. I just want to be with Jesus. Right now, I can't be with Him 24-7 because I've got to go to work. Just be real. <laughs> I've got to go to work. I've got to eat. There's things in life I just, we just have to do. That's just a part of it. It wasn't that way before the fall of man. Before the fall of man, everything was provided. We just walk with Jesus. We just walk with the Lord. But then the fall happened and the curse came. Now we got to sweat. And most of the time we sweat, we get thorns and briars. But it's just a part of it now. But then, 24-7, I'll be in his presence for forever and ever and ever. Never leaving. It says that where I am, there you may be also. This refers to heaven where the saints of God will go at the resurrection. This is a promise. It's a promise. You got to take it by faith. I can't make you believe this. But I can promise you this. If you reach out by faith in what Christ has done and you grab a hold of this promise that it is for you, you will never regret it. It's for each one of us. Right now, he's preparing a place for me. And it's a guarantee that I'll be there. Because he is the same yesterday, yesterday, today, and forever. He does not lie. And I ju we just saw that he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And which means I'm going to be coming back to pick you up. I'm going to be coming back at the midnight hour. You're going to hear a shout. And I'm going to snatch you away in the twinkling of an eye. And then you'll forever be with me. 
and I have full assurance that I'll be there. Mm. Because I'm in Christ. And it doesn't depend on what I do. It depends on what I believe. That's the part that we... That's what trips us up. That's too easy. You think it is. It's not that easy. But it's the only way. You've got to keep believing. Keep believing. Fight the good fight of faith. And at the end, you'll finish the race. Just keep running with perseverance. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. You'll finish the race. There is a hope laid up for you in heaven. Not not later. He's building right now. It's in progress right now. I I get amped up. I'll just be real. He's building me a place right now. I'm here on earth going through things. It's not always fun. I'm not skipping through the tulip fields. Things really happen. But I have a hope laid up for me in heaven that I know that at the end of the day, he's building me a place in heaven. And he promised that he'll be coming back to pick me up. And I get excited, Brother Sid. Hold my mule, Brother Sid. Hold my mule, Brother Sid. I get excited. He's preparing a place for me. Yeah, you darn right I take it personally. For me. It's for me. I belong to him. The place he's building is for me. And it's going to be the best because the Father wants me to have the best. And it already belongs to me because I'm in Christ and I belong to him. He's my Father. His house is my house. I may not be able to see it with my eyes right now, but I look through the lens of faith in Christ and what he's done. And I know that I know that I have a hope laid up for me in heaven. And no matter what happens on this earth, you cannot take that hope from me. It's in a place where a thief can't come in, where the tapeworm can't eat it, where the moth can do no harm. It's in a place that you can't touch. Hmm. My goodness. Good preaching, Brother Sid. My goodness. Hmm. There's just, we could... We could talk about it all day. I just, I'll just, let's just be honest. <laughs> but, see, there's nothing better than being there. That's what I look forward to. 
Ain't nothing better than being there. Oh, the only thing better. Well, then talking about heaven is when I walk those streets of gold and I wear my long white robe. I'm going to meet my Lord, I'm there. At that meeting in the air, ain't nothing better than being there. And the only thing better, well, than talking about heaven. It's when I walk those streets of gold and I wear my long white robe. I'm going to meet my Lord up there at that meeting in the air. Ain't nothing better than being there. be honest with you. I ain't got nothing else. That's it. (laughs) I can't wait. I can't wait for the trump of God to sound, not just for me, but for you. I can't wait to hear the shout at midnight. The trump of God sound. And he comes and gets each one of us. And we get to be with him forever and forever. Because it's far greater to be with him. My Lord. I don't know what kind of mansion God preparing streets of gold I know I'm gonna find and all the pain and suffering that comes in this life it won't be long I'll leave it all behind cause I know I'll be there in the place where Jesus promised he would prepare. It's beyond imagination, all the glories we will share. And I know I'll be there. I know that I'm forgiven. I know my name is written. I know that I've been covered by his blood. And I believe, oh, I believe. Cause I know I'll be there. In a 
place where Jesus promised he would prepare. It's beyond imagination. All the glories we will share. And I know, yes, I know, yes, I know that I'll be there. Hallelujah, what a morning. When I reach for that nail-scarred hands And I'm led from His grace to His glory On the banks of the promised land Oh, hallelujah, what a morning when I reach for that nail-scarred hand And I'm led from His grace to His glory On the banks of the promised land On the banks of the promised Land. Praise the Lord. Would you stand, please?